You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Today, Exodus chapter number 35. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, if you've never read through the, the uh, beginning parts of the Bible, fascinating story, uh, the book of Exodus begins with the children of Israel, they're God's chosen people, they're in slavery to the Egyptians. And so the uh, Egyptians are holding them captive uh, as slave laborers, uh, and they are set free by a man by the name of Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, you won't. God sends plagues upon the, the uh, uh, nation of Egypt. Uh, and finally, one final plague where the firstborn son of every home is killed, uh, the causes Pharaoh to say, hey, let them go, and they get turned loose. Children of Israel are supposed to go into the promised land. God says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place that's gonna be yours. It's gonna be your home. You've never had a home before. This will be your land, but you gotta go. And so they sent out 12 spies, and these 12 spies uh, came back, and 10 of them said, there's no way we can take this land. The people that are there, they're too big, they're too strong, they're too tough, we cannot take them. And there were two spies uh, that came back and said, we've totally got this. We can totally take these guys with God's help. And so the children of Israel amongst themselves decided not to go into the promised land. And because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until basically every adult that had chosen not to go into the promised land basically died in the wilderness. And then God allowed them to go into the promised land. Fascinating story that you find in the book of Genesis, Exodus, uh, and even uh, into the book of Leviticus some as well. Uh, And so if you've never read through that, I'd highly encourage you to do that. Today we're taking a look at, because the children of Israel were constantly on the move, they're, they're wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, they don't necessarily have any houses, they don't have any, uh, a town set up, they have no structure in place, they basically pitch tents wherever they go and then they move on to the next place from there. And because of that, they really had no place for, uh, to be the house of God, a place where they could worship, a place where they could offer sacrifice. And so we find in the book of Exodus, chapter number 35 here, God gives instructions on how to build a tabernacle. We're gonna take a look at the difference between a tabernacle and a temple and how those apply to us today. And then we're gonna take a look at some principles uh, that we can gather from uh, the Old Testament giving and how we can apply that to our life and even our situation today with our special building offering. Exodus chapter number 35, starting in verse number one. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, these are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be unto you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest unto the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein, let him be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout the habitations on the Sabbath day. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing that the Lord's commanded. Take ye from you among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it in an offering of the Lord gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood and oil for the light and spices anointing oil for the sweet incense and onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and every wise hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded the tabernacle, his tent, the covering, his tacks and his boards and his bars and his pillars and his sockets, the ark and the staves thereof with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering and the table and the staves and his vessels and the showbread 
the candlestick, also for light and the furniture and for his lamps and for the oil and the light and the incense and the altar and his staves and the anointing oil and the sweet incense and the hanging of the door at the entering of the tabernacle. The altar of the burning with his brazen gates and stays and all the vessels and the laver and his foot and the hangings of the court, the pillars and their sockets and the hangings for the door of the court and the pins of the tabernacle and the pins of the court and their cords. The clause of the service and the, for those that do service in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his son to minister in the priest's office and all the congregation of the ch- children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So Moses basically gives them a shopping list. Hey guys, here's what we need. If you've got any of this stuff, bring it in. If you can make any of these things, I want you to bring those in as well. And the people heard what Moses said and then they left. And they wanted to give an offering. Verse number five tells us because they had a willing heart and a desire uh, to do so. Uh, our, our building situation here is very unique in the fact that uh, there's no place like uh, getting commercial real estate in the city of Honolulu. There's no place like it on earth, I promise you that. Uh, there's very little to be had. Uh, I have friends that, uh, that pastor on the mainland in the south, and they said, uh, you know, you should probably just buy a few acres and start building something. <laughs> it's like, that would be nice. Uh, if you're not familiar with the way that that works here, basically the end parcel I just saw on the, the internet this past week, the end parcel where they're building these new uh, condominiums that are supposed to be open really in the next few weeks. Uh, this is how awesome uh, serving Jesus in the city is. In just a matter of weeks, we're gonna have probably in the ballpark of anywhere from 500 to 700 new neighbors that are 50 feet from our front door. How cool is that? That's really exciting. Uh, I'm super pumped up about that. But just that parcel of land over there, just the parcel of land sold for $4 million, just that parcel of land. And so the idea of buying a few acres and building something on it just isn't uh, feasible at all. Uh, when we began looking at uh, real estate here for in uh, 2013, when we first started Who We Call It, uh, basically real, real estate uh, retail and, and uh, commercial real estate goes in the ballpark of somewhere between 10 to $15 a square foot outrageously expensive if you can imagine that and so uh, I had been working with a real estate agent and she says I found a good property for you I want you to meet me there and she gave me the address of the property uh, and I, I showed up here at the front door and I, I immediately I just looked at the building I looked at the proximity to Alamona Center I said there's no way on earth we can afford this it was a, a former fantastic Sam's it was a beautiful mint green the entire building was it was so beautiful uh, very refreshing uh, and so the, uh, the the windows had been uh, taped up and stuff like that there was a lot of folks that uh, had had made their own mark of their name on the building and things along those lines. And it was, uh, it was in rough shape. This is uh, our, our main lobby that we have out here. It was a fantastic Sam's hair salon. On the left-hand side uh, was the, the haircutting stations on both sides there. Uh, the guy in the, the middle of that photo there is uh, Manuel Madera. Uh, Manuel walked through this building with me and saw it for the first time with me. Uh, and uh, he's, he's forever an optimist. I love this guy. I walked in here, I thought, man, first of all, great location, but this place is a dump. Uh, and he said, he said, Pastor, I believe we can do this. And I go, okay. This is our main auditorium, what, what is now our super church classroom over there. It was floor to ceiling and basically just a warehouse space here uh, with all these uh, shelving units and stuff like there. You really couldn't even see how big the room was because of all the shelving and trash and stuff like that that was in there. This is us the very first day that we got the keys. We finally got the shelving uh, cleared out and we were left with this big, huge, this was about uh, a quarter of the amount of the trash that we had to haul out of there. Uh, but we just believed that God was gonna do something incredibly amazing. I don't have time to tell you. They Give me about two hours of your time sometime and I'll tell you the whole story of how God gave us that. Uh, that's our grand opening Sunday there uh, that we have. We kind of uh, converted that over to our uh, main auditorium. We used that as our auditorium for four years uh, and it was a really good auditorium. We had two services about a year and a half in and we began to use that. Uh, beginning of, la- of uh, 2018, uh, 
uh, getting it, no, 2017. Uh, this is the, the building that you're seated on right now. Uh, basically what happened was the, the city t took off the first uh, 10 feet of the building and basically refaced it and they basically gutted the entire building. Uh, and our landlord said, said, hey, I'd love for you guys to take over that space if, if you want to, and we did. And so that's us uh, right there. We began to put up the insulation that you see on the ceilings up here. Every single bit of that was hung by uh, volunteer men in our church. Uh, and this is us, uh, again, with more insulation there. How many people actually came in and hung insulation? Any guys that are here that hung, hung insulation? Raise your hand. Guys, raise your hand up high. These are the guys that put on the white suits and, uh, and hung all that insulation. Man, it was a mess. Uh, but the, the cost to do something like that was $50,000, or we could do it ourselves, and we chose to do it ourselves. No lie. This is, uh, this is the day before our grand opening here that we had in our, in our auditorium here. This is the day before. I think that's uh, David Franklin up there on the lift right there. He was painting all, spray painting uh, the, all the stuff that was up here where we hung our sound system. We had guys that were running cables still setting up our sound system. It was crazy. Uh, this is our very first Sunday that we had inside this auditorium uh, here together. And uh, we, had, we had had to, uh, now mind you, hang on for, to this slide for just a second here. We had no air conditioning. Uh, you see these big, huge hoses ran out. We had rented temporary ACs for that first Sunday, uh, but we had uh, no AC in here at all, and those temporary ACs did not even catch up. Uh, and so it, it basically just knocked a little bit of the, the heat off, but it was, it was warm in here. We had si about eight weeks that we had no AC at all. We had these really cool, uh, super cool Hui Kala fans. Some of you still have those fans, right? And we, so we passed out fans, and, we, and then we just, we just worshiped. Uh, I, did, I did do you guys a really good favor, though, because we usually sung about two songs, and I preached for about 45 minutes so we got out of here in about an hour and then when we got ac everything went back to normal uh, and so uh a little bit longer services than after that uh but uh, this, this this was awesome this was our very first sunday in here uh, we were still trying to put everything together uh, and then every week we would move the chairs back out while the guys would come in and, and install the air conditioning i wish i had time to tell you how god provided for our air conditioning uh, the cost of it was about two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars we paid for about a hundred thousand dollars of it had a ton of donations and this is as, uh this is our uh, open house Sunday this past October. Uh, this was our five-year anniversary that we had here. Uh, just, just, just home for us now. It's easy to come in here your very first Sunday and look around and go, wow, what a great church. This must be nice. Oh, if you only knew what it took to get to where we are today. God's blessings is 100%. God's grace 100% uh, gets the credit for everything that's ever taken place here at Huikala. Uh, you could look and say, oh, you're in the right place at the right time. What a coincidence. No, God provided from beginning to end. But I also want to tell you the story of dozens, actually probably at this point now, hundreds of people who had who we call it as their church home, who gave towards a building project that they would never actually see completed. Uh, I was looking at some pictures this past week of some uh, friends that we have, uh, the Newburns, and, and uh, uh, the Newburns had left, uh, they were here at Hui Kala for three years and were super faithful and served and, and gave and, and gave towards the building and things like that. They left like three weeks before we moved in here. They never actually even got to sit in the building, but they gave towards it. Uh, I could go on really for, and talk about dozens and dozens of families who gave sacrificially to a building that they never even sit in. Uh, people who gave sacrificially to, to get our AC project finished and done that would never actually sit in here because it wasn't for what they could get out of it. It was about for what they could put into it. And that's really one of the things that's made who we call the church that it is today. It's not a bunch of selfish people saying, well, what does the church offer me? What can I get from the church? It's a group of people who have gathered together as a family out in the middle of the ocean. Most of us probably would have never gotten to know each other outside of church. Uh, five years ago, the majority of us didn't even know each other. But God's brought us together and made us a part of a family because of Jesus and all that he's done. And we have a place to, to gather together every week and to celebrate and to, to worship Jesus together. 
As we take a look at, uh, again, it's important to understand, I want to quantify terms as well. Sometimes we f- refer to uh, the church building as God's house, and we tell our kids, you know, we don't run in God's house, and we take care of the furniture in God's house, and I, I understand the idea behind that, but let me help you with, with the idea here that God's house is not a building. It's not, the, the place that you're in here today is not God's house. Uh, truth be told, it's a former hair salon and warehouse. Uh, the part that you're seated in this, this morning used to be a Korean massage parlor that was open till one o'clock in the morning on the weekends. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I've never actually thought to myself at 1230 at night, hey, I wonder if there's any massage joints that are open because my shoulders are a little bit tight. I've never thought that before. So, uh, and needless to say, some of our neighbors will give you kind of an indication as far as what our neighborhood uh, was like. So it's not that this is sacred, holy ground. Let me just tell you this. This building belongs to God. I'll tell you that much because everything in the earth belongs to God. But there's nothing special. There's nothing holy. There's nothing sacred about this building or any other building on planet earth. And you might look at that and you go, oh, you know, I was raised in church that you don't run in church and you don't, uh, you know, do things. I, I get it. And we should take care of what God gives us. Again, when somebody spills coffee in here, we have a team of people that come and clean up your coffee when you spill it. That's why you should use a lid. You should use those little green things that just stick in the top, okay? That helps everybody, right? Uh, but why do we take good care of it? Why do we shampoo the carpets twice a year? Why do we make sure that we, we touch up all of our paint? Uh, because it belongs to the Lord. But there's nothing sacred and holy about this building itself. It's a concrete block warehouse uh, that's situated in the middle of the city. It belongs to God, but it's not God's house. We contrast this with the tabernacle, which we took a look at here in this passage here. Uh, the tabernacle was a portable shrine. Uh, the the, the uh, Hebrew word for it is the word mishkan, which means a dwelling place. Uh, this was a movable tent slash temple that the children of Israel would take as they went. So when they set up camp somewhere, some guys would get together and they would set up the tabernacle. And the tabernacle would be split up and there was a section of the tabernacle that was called uh, the Holy of Holies. This is where God's spirit would come down and dwell with his people. And whenever it came time to move, they would pack up the tabernacle and then they would move on. It was a temporary place while they went from place to place while God had no permanent dwelling place. Now, even after the children of Israel went into the promised land and they got their uh, land that God had promised them, uh, they still used the tabernacle. They said, set it up. It was just kind of a temporary kind of a, a place for God's spirit to dwell. That was referred to as God's house. Now, God's spirit would literally come down and dwell with the people in the Holy of Holies. Uh, They would make sacrifices back there, but God's Spirit would come down as a cloud and be with the people in the tabernacle. Now, David became king, and David says, God, I want to build you a house. This tent thing that we got going on, it's embarrassing. I want to build you a house like nobody's ever seen before. And so David says, God, I want to build the temple. And God told David, no. David, you can't build the temple. When my temple gets built, it's not gonna be built by a man like you who has shed so much blood. But I will allow one of your sons to build the temple. And so David began to prepare. He began to sock away money, sock away resources to build the temple one day, although he himself would never actually see it. 
Now, the temple, uh, this word's generally used in Scripture, is the sacred house that's erected on the summit of Mount Moriah in the city of Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping God, and it is often just referred to as the temple. Uh, and so uh, this, this temple was not a temporary dwelling place. This was not a tent that people put up. This was over the top. I mean, when you think of like lifestyles of the rich and famous, this is that times like 100. I mean, everything was gold. Everything was top notch. Everything was perfect because this was God's permanent dwelling place. This was the temple. Now, uh, the temple has a unique history in the fact that it was destroyed by the Babylonians in about 586 BC. Uh, we find in the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra and some other guys says, hey, we wanna go back and we want to rebuild the temple after it's been ransacked. And they did, they went back and rebuilt the temple again. And so then we see the temple was expanded to also include what's uh, referred to in the gospels as Herod's temple, uh, added on to that. And then in 70 BC, when the, I'm sorry, 70 AD, when the Romans overtook uh, the siege of Jerusalem, they completely and totally obliterated uh, the temple there and completely and totally uh, wiped it out altogether. So the temple no longer exists. The, the place that it's at right now is actually home to a Muslim uh, mosque known as the Dome of the Rock. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem, there is a Muslim mosque that's sitting on the place where the temple used to be. Now, mind you, Jews are waiting for that temple to be built again. They're waiting for that, that Muslim shrine to be knocked off so that they can rebuild their temple in this holy place. The problem is, is they're looking for a place, but they forgot about the person. You see, they're really excited about the temple and when the temple's gonna be rebuilt and they're gonna have a new place where God's spirit can come and dwell with them, but they forgot about Jesus who came so that they no longer needed the temple. You see, for us, we're not waiting for the rebuilding of the temple because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are God's building. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The, the New Testament tells us that there's now no longer a need for a temple. We don't need a temple any longer. We don't need a place where God's spirit would come and dwell with his people because you and I are that temple. You and I are that tabernacle. You and I are God's building. So when we say God's house, that we are God's house, we're talking about the people that are seated here that have been saved by Jesus, that have been added to the church. We are God's building. You see, if we decide that we're going to meet across the street tomorrow, we are still the church. We are still God's building. If we decide we're going to meet over at Alamona Beach Park, next Sunday. We are still God's building. This, this facility that we have at 1216 Waimani Street is not God's building. It's just a place where God's people meet. Are you with me so far this morning? So the building itself, mind you, holds very little spiritual value whatsoever. It gives us a place to gather. The real, uh, I would say, the real expensive, beneficial part are the people that are seated in this room. This is the good stuff. We are God's building. Uh, the Bible goes on and on again throughout the New Testament to tell us that. First uh, Corinthians chapter number three, these verses are in your notes here this morning. We're laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse number four. If we are in this tabernacle, do groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that morality might be swallowed up in life. Here's an interesting uh, uh, way that uh, Paul and Peter himself actually describe our bodies. He describes us as a tabernacle. 
Now, if you rewind and remember what the tabernacle was, it was a, a very uh, kind of ragtag kind of tent that was put together. It wasn't incredibly ornate. It was just kind of a place that, that served its purpose and could be moved from place to place. You and I are God's tabernacle in the fact that we are nothing special. This is temporary dwelling place for God until we get a permanent dwelling place with God one day. Um, 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 13 he says, yea, I think me, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle. So again, Peter's referring to himself as a temporary dwelling place of God's spirit. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter number six to tell us what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. It's important to understand that as we look at a building offering or maybe one day being able to purchase our own property, we're not looking for a place for God to dwell. We're looking for a place where people can gather. Very important to understand that that God doesn't need a house. God doesn't need a place where his spirit can come. His spirit has already come to live inside of believers. We are God's house. We are God's building. And so it's really important to understand that at the end of the day, We don't necessarily need a building. It's just one of those things that's nice to have and gives us the opportunity to do ministry to a greater degree. Uh, Folks, every single week come to our church and I say, how did you find our church? How did you hear about us? I was driving by. Hey, I was leaving the mall and I I turned and I saw a church. Hey, we talked to a lady last night that was at one of our, or last weekend that was at one of our home fellowships. How'd you find our church? She said, I was on the way to the gym. And she said, "I, I thought to myself, I really don't want to go to the gym tonight. And she said, and I looked over and I saw the church and she goes, I'll go to church instead. That's better than going to the gym, right? I was like, yes. It's like, man, I love it. But the fact of the matter is, is it's given us the opportunity to reach people we wouldn't normally reach. It's very con- a convenient place, but it's more importantly than that, it's a place that we can bring people where they can hear the truth of God's word and they can grow in their faith. I'm always encouraged when I ask somebody, how did you find out about our church? They say, a friend invited me or a, a, a co-worker's been asking me forever to come to church with them, so I finally decided to. Uh, we want a place where people can come and hear the word of God, but this building does not define Jesus's church. Uh, a building is not a mark of God's blessing. A building is not necessarily a mark of, of, of uh, a mighty work of God. The mighty work of God takes place inside us, not in, in a building itself. And so it's important to understand that from the very beginning. As we take a look at the idea of the offering that they gave uh, in Exodus chapter uh, 35, if you take a look this morning, we see first of all that the people had an opportunity to give. Verse number five. Actually, let's go back to verse number four. It says, And Moses spake unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. It's really important that when Moses decided that he wanted to build a tabernacle, he didn't say to them, hey, this is an idea that I had. I'm just gonna throw it out there. He says, no, here's what God said. God wants me to let you know this. Verse number five, take ye from you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring an offering to the Lord, gold and silver and brass, and goes on and he gives a shopping list from there. They had an opportunity to give. They had something they were giving to. They were giving to God's house, a place where God's spirit would come and dwell with his people. It was a place of worship, a place where they could see God work and move. They had an opportunity. But secondly, we see that they gave to the Lord. They didn't give to the project. They gave to the Lord. Verse number five, take from you an offering 
unto the Lord. That's really critical to understand that when we give, every week at Hui Kala, we, we receive an offering at the end of the service because it's biblical. That's what they did in the Bible. They gave and they received an offering. And we give as an act of worship unto the Lord. Uh, we don't give to a certain cause necessarily. We don't necessarily give uh, to a church. We give to the Lord through his church. Uh, that's his pattern that we find in the New Testament for the way that we give. We give to the Lord through his church and they gave to the Lord. Next, we see that they gave willingly. I love verse number 21. If you take a look at verse 21 in Exodus 35, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whose spirit made him willing. They brought an offering to the work of the tabernacle, the congregation for the service and for the holy garments. I love the fact that these people, they wanted to give. They said, hey, what, what's, what's needed? What can I do? How can I be a part? What can I do? Man, my spirit is stirred up. I want to get in on this, and I want to give towards that. How do I do that? And they had the opportunity to give because they gave from a willing heart. I heard a, a pastor say one time, he was trying to be funny, but I didn't like what he said. Uh, and, and pastors do say stupid stuff. I'm, I'm very keenly aware of that, that I do that often. Uh, but he said, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch. And it's kind of funny the thought, you know, that if you don't want to give cheerfully, just give it anyways. God will take your money either way. But I thought to myself, you make it sound like God needs your money, and he doesn't. You act like God wants your money, and he doesn't. God wants your heart. He wants your worship. And I always tell people, if you can't give with a good spirit or a good attitude, please just don't give. God is not honored. God is not glorified when we give out of necessity. Well, I guess I got to. Well, I guess I'm going to. I want to feel guilty if I don't. Uh, God is not honored through that type of giving. These people gave willingly. They couldn't wait to give. Uh, I was at a church service one time, and it was, it was one of the most, um, I want to choose my words carefully. I, I would even go far, so far as to say spiritually abusive situations that I've seen before in church. Uh, they had come to the end of the service and they'd taken the offering and the, the ushers went back to town and the pastor was making the announcements and things like that. One of the ushers came up and gave him a slip of paper and he looked and he goes, all right, folks. He said, um, I just got the numbers from the offering and, and we've got to pay our electricity bill this month and the money didn't come in to pay the electricity bill. So nobody's going home until the electricity bill gets paid. Who'll give $500? Raise your hand. And I thought to myself, is this a joke? Is this like funny? Like, is he, is he being serious? Oh, he's being dead serious. Some of you enjoy the AC, but you don't want to pay the electricity bill. $500. Okay, nobody. $100, raise your hand. I'm going to stand up here until we get this electricity bill. And I wanted to crawl under my seat. And I thought to myself, if I had brought a friend who needed Jesus and they came to church and they heard that, I would, I would be, they'd be so turned off by that. It's embarrassing. Hey, look, if God's not meeting the bills and you need to pray and fast and ask God to provide, you don't need to strong arm people into things. And it was this ugly thing where it's like, okay, all right, fine, $50. Who'll give $50? Sally back there will give $50. Tommy, thank you, $50 over here. And you see some little kid like raising his hand, like, I'll give $50. And mom like puts his hand down and just like, and I thought, and it went on and on and on. After they paid the electricity bill, there was something else that had to be paid that it's just like, oh, my soul. And it's like, and then they finally got to the end of it after all this strong army. It went on for like 15 minutes. All right, praise God, all of our bills got paid tonight. Let's sing to God be the glory. It's just like, what? The Lord didn't have nothing to do with that. You guilted people into giving. You made people feel bad about it. That's not the idea behind giving. And friend, if you've ever felt like, like you've been pressured to give, that's not biblical giving. Hey, look, God's not, God's not broke. God even goes so far in the book of Psalms to say, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you for food. God says, I own everything. 
I, I, all the earth and the fullness thereof is mine. If God was lacking, he wouldn't come to you asking for money. And so we never give because God is broke. We never give out of compulsion or somebody makes us feel bad or out of guilt. We give out of love and worship and adoration. And if you don't want to give, don't give. It's simple as that. But these people wanted to give. They gave out of a willing heart. And that the spirit in which we give is so important. Verse, going on, next they gave what they had. Verse number uh, 21, uh, and, every, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whose spirit made him willing, and they brought to the Lord an offering of the work of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, and as many as were willing-hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets of jewels and gold. And every man that had an offering, uh, offered an offering of, offering of gold unto the Lord. And then it goes on with all the stuff that they had asked for, that Moses had said, hey, here's what we need. And if you read through the, the following verses there, people just began to give. And people that could, could sew, they made curtains for the tabernacle. And people who had gold, they gave gold to the tabernacle. And people who had precious stones would give those as well. And they just gave from what they had. Hey, look, nobody's asking you to give what you don't have. God doesn't expect you to give uh, what you don't have. I've heard people say foolish things before, like, well, if I ever got a really big inheritance, I'd be generous then. It's like, if you're not generous with what you have today, you're not going to be generous with what you have then. Well, if I ever win the lottery, I'll be sure to tithe. How about you just tithe? Simple as that. God's not expecting you to get a big, huge windfall of cash and give off that. God's expecting you to give based on what's already in your hands. These people didn't go out and steal from other people. These didn't, people didn't work a second job to be able to give. These people gave from what they had. Next, we see that they gave sacrificially. Now, mind you, these people probably didn't just have extra gold laying around the house that they didn't know what to do with. They probably just didn't have a bunch of extra things sitting around that they were just like, hey, I don't know what we're gonna do with this. Let's drag it out of the closet and, and give that instead. No, they gave sacrificially. It's always interesting to me. Uh, again, because uh, Hawaii is such a transient place, people are always coming and people are always going. And over the course of uh, the last man, five and a half years, we've seen probably, I don't know, at this point now, probably 2,000 plus people come through who we call and leave at some point. But uh, it, it always interests me when people say, Pastor, uh, I've, I'm getting ready to leave the island. I have a donation I want to give to the church. It's like, man, come on by, you know, whatever. It's great. And I always wonder, like, are you going to give a car? Are you going to give me the keys to your condo? Are you going to give, uh, are you going to give uh, an offering to the, the building? What are you going to give? And more often than not, people will come and they'll drop off all the stuff that they didn't want. We brought, people came to make a donation of a half bottle of ketchup to the church. It's like, you could have just thrown that away. Well, I thought the church could use it. I don't want your ketchup. That's gross. Like, Seriously. Like, my kids lick the ketchup bottle. Like, I, no. Oh, we have some expired spices that we never use. We thought we'd donate to the church. Keep it. We've got some T-shirts with holes in them. I thought maybe you could use it to clean. No, that's fine. We have cleaning rags. These are not sacrificial giving. Hey, let me find what's in the closet that I haven't used in three years and see if the church wants it. That's not the idea of giving to the Lord. Giving to the Lord is my best. I give to the Lord sacrificially. I give to God, not out of my leftovers, but out of my good stuff. I've, I've 
talked over the concept of tithing with, with man, hundreds of people over the years that we give God the first 10% of what God gives to us. Whatever comes into my hands, the first tenth of that belongs to God. It's the principle of first fruit giving that we find cover to cover in the Bible. It's the principle that we find of the tithe that we find in the Old Testament. A portion always belongs to God. That's the tenth part, the first part of it. I've known people before who budget out all of their money and then whatever they have left over, they've got $50 left over at the end of the month, they tithe off of that and they give $5 out of the 50. That's not the tithe, that's tithing off of your leftovers. And, and, and again, God is not honored when we just give him a portion of what's left. God wants our hearts. And again, God doesn't need our money, but our money is directly tied to where our heart is and God wants to know that he has every part of us. But these people, they gave sacrificially. Next, they gave continually. They didn't just give one time and stop. If you continue to turn over through the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 36, if you take a look at verse number three here, and they received the offering of Moses for which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. Man, every day, I, hey, I, I made some curtains for the tabernacle. I want to put those up today. Hey, I came across some gold uh, that I got from a friend. Hey, I sold some stuff the other day and had some additional money that I wanted to give. They gave continually again and again and again. But I love what they did next. They got to work after that. You take a look at verse number eight. And every wise-hearted man among them that wrought the work of the tabernacle made 10 curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet and the cherubims and cunning work. Uh, he made them the length of one curtain. It goes on to talk about the, the, how the curtains were put together. They got all their stuff together. They finally had given everything that they had. And verse number seven, we didn't even talk about that. If you take a look at verse number seven, and the, actually verse number six, and Moses gave a commandment that caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp. Hey, go tell everybody this. Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Hey, we got too much stuff. You've given too much. You've been far too generous. We don't need any more. Verse number seven, it says, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. These people were just overwhelmed with the fact that God had brought them out of slavery, overwhelmed with the worship of God, that they wanted to give and give and give. And not everybody gave, but the ones who had a willing heart gave. And they gave sacrificially, they gave daily. And there finally came a point where it's like, hey, enough. You've given enough. We have everything that we need to accomplish the work here. For us, we're starting a building fund. Uh, and again, I don't know if you looked at purchasing commercial real estate in Hawaii, but it's not cheap. Uh, the building that, that you're seated in this morning, the last time that it was appraised, appraised for $4 million. I don't know about you, but where I come from, that's a lot of money, uh, $4 million. And there's, again, you look at this building, and there's nothing that's incredibly uh, attractive about it. You know, it's made out of cinder block. It was paid in uh, 1950s. It was built, uh, and it's just not that great of a building. It's $4 million. I don't know if God would allow us to purchase this building. I'm praying, and you can laugh if you want to. I'm praying that maybe one day our landlord would, would donate this building to us. And you say, well, that'll never happen. Well, with an attitude like that, it won't. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't know about the kind of God you serve, but I know that my God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that worketh in me. I know that. I'm praying that that would be the case. But if not, I would want our church to be prepared one day that if our landlord did say, hey, I'm gonna sell you this building, that we're prepared for that. And that's the idea behind this, that we would give to a building fund in faith, trusting that God would do something great with it. And the thing that I love about these folks is they were part of a move of God that would be discussed for thousands of years. 
Here you and I are talking about this mighty moving of God, these people who got together and they gave sacrificially out of love, worship, and adoration to God because of their love for him. And they gave and they gave, and you and I are talking about it today. I truly believe that one of these days you and I will tell our grandkids about who we call a Baptist church and what God did through it. I really believe that. I believe that one day we'll be able to sit around and tell folks about a great movie of God that we got to be a part of. I know the folks that were, were here hanging insulation in here come in every Sunday now and they think, man, I'm a part of something big. I know the folks that helped us lay the flooring over there in the, what is now our super church classroom, what used to be our main auditorium, think, man, it's neat to see what God's done. But I believe that we're just beginning to see what God wants to do. Five years is nothing in the timeline of a lifetime. I want to see what God does 25 years from now. I want to see what God does 50 years from now. Man, I wish you'd let me live to be 91 years old and I can see what God's doing through who we call a Baptist church. I want to see that. I want to be a part of a moving of God. And you and I have the opportunity to do that. Uh, some folks will only be here for a temporary period of time, and that, that's, that's fine, but God has you here right now for a reason, for a purpose, for his glory. And you might never see what God does. You might never see the end result of this, but you can give by faith and be a, a part of that. I'd like to ask you to pray for our church, if you would. I, went to, I put together a spreadsheet. I'm a spreadsheet guy. Uh, I put together a spreadsheet the other day on the families that I know for sure are leaving this year. And we've got about 50 people that will be gone by this time in the summertime. Uh, so in the next six months or so, we've got like 50 folks that we're losing uh, in our church. And so pray, if you would, for our church that God would continue to provide and, and meet needs and stuff like that. And you say, we're taking a special offering when we're losing 50 people. I believe God's going to do something incredible. And just to give you a, a heads up, we lost about 75 people last year, and we ended up with a net growth year over year. Why? Because God continues to do his work, and we have to be, continue to be faithful. And I want to ask you to pray about being a part of a mighty movement of God. Now, how do we give? We give through our regular tithes and offerings. Every single week we receive an offering. The Bible commands us to give every, single, every time we get paid. Uh, basically, the Bible says that on a weekly basis we receive an offering, and every man should give as God has prospered him. And let me just tell you, if you're not giving your tithes and your offerings, you're missing out on one of the best parts of being a Christian. Giving is one of the greatest joys that I have in my entire life. And you're missing out on the blessings that come from being obedient to the Lord. Now, again, we don't, I don't encourage people to tithe because God needs your money. But let me just tell you this. How do we keep the lights on here? How do we pay our rent every month? We pay it through the tithes and offerings of God's people. And so uh, I would encourage you, if you're not currently tithing, I want you to take a look at, and find out how can I be faithful? How can I be obedient to what God's commanded me to do so that I can give to the Lord through my church? And I promise you this, God will bless you and God will provide for you every single step along the way. So not only do we give our tithes, our first 10% of, of what comes into our hands, do we give that? But in addition to that, we also give above and beyond that because we love the Lord. And so uh, for us, we give to missions, our family does, uh, on a monthly basis so we can support our church planning missionaries that get the gospel out uh, in other cities that we are not currently. Uh, we helped start a church in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, they're about uh, six weeks old at this point, the city, uh, city Point Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, we helped start that church through our missions giving uh, that we give. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to take a look at, again, what God would have you to do as far as your regular giving. You see, your view on giving is an indication of your spirituality. And some people don't like a statement like this, but it's, it's from the Bible. That what I give determines my view on who God is. What I give or don't give is 
really is a marker for my spirituality. And let me just tell you, if you are not giving the way that God commands you, I would encourage you to grow in that area of obedience. It's a, it's a maturity process. Uh, for some people, it's easier than others. Uh, for our family, it was very easy. I saw my dad give every single week of the world, uh, and so I just thought this is what Christians do. And so tithing for me was very easy. Giving to missions was a little bit more difficult. Giving to a building was a little bit more difficult. It caused, caused a little bit of uh, maturity on my part to, to get to that level. And again, when you talk about other things of the Christian life, sharing my faith, praying, reading the Bible on a regular basis, I struggled in those areas for a really long time. But forgiving, giving was easy for me. It's just another step of maturity for the Christian. And so I would encourage you to grow in that area. Now, why do we give? This is really important. Why do we give? First of all, we give for the glory of God. I want God's name to be made great in our city. I really do. I want God's name to be lifted up in a way that it never has been before. If you ever have the opportunity, I would encourage you to go over to the Hawaii Mission Homes uh, that's over on Kapiolani Boulevard, uh, right before, right where King and uh, Kapiolani uh, branch off from one another. There's a Hawaii Mission Homes there. And they talk about the rich Christian history of our islands. Fascinating story that at one time, uh, our islands were fully evangelized with the gospel. Christian missionaries came and they, they uh, put in a written language for the Hawaiian people. They printed Bibles and gave them out so that every person could read. Uh, the, the queen renounced pagan theology and adopted Christianity. Fascinating story. If you got the time, you got, you got to go there. But here's the thing. We no longer live in a day, in a society, on an island where everybody knows Jesus, and we want to make his name great in our city, and that's one of the reasons why we give, so that we can accomplish the work of the ministry. Uh, this past week, we ordered 75 uh, Easter flyers. You should have got one in your bulletin this morning. Beautiful Easter invitations. We have the opportunity to give out 7,500 of those we printed. How do we do that? Through the tithes and offerings of God's people. Why did we do that? So that we can make God's name great in our city. Another reason we give, we give out of worship. The word worship literally means to bow down, to put your face to the ground in, in front of. And that's the the posture of our heart when we worship the Lord through giving. When I give, I give because the Lord is worthy, because I recognize who he is and I recognize who I am. I recognize that he is great, he is infinite, he is worthy of my worship, my honor, and my praise, and I choose to give because of my love for him and my desire to please him with my life. I give out of worship. Next, we give for future generations. Nobody thinks of stuff like this but me, but I think about my, uh, often about who the next pastor of who we call a Baptist church is gonna be. I, I pray that when we started this church uh, that God would allow me to pastor it for 25 years. I hope that God allows me to do that. And I prayed that he would, he would give me that much life and that much gusto to keep on trucking. I'll be 62 years old at that point. And so if you're trying to do math in your head, I'm 41, just stop it, all right? Um, so, but I think to myself, again, nobody else thinks about this. She's gonna be the pastor after I leave. And I think to myself, is the pastor of who we call a Baptist church over there in Super Church this morning? You ever thought about that? Like one of your kids that you dropped off this morning in Super Church, could they be the next pastor of our church? You say, not my kids. Uh, it's like, hey, look, I'm with you. I'm with you, right? But honestly, pastoring a church was not the first thing that I wanted to do when I was 10 either. But you know what? I had parents that taught me to love the Lord. And I had people who invested in my life And so we give so that other people can love the same Jesus that we do. We give so that future generations will have the opportunity uh, to worship the God that we worship. 
most importantly, we give because of the gospel. The story of what Jesus has done for us is the number one reason why we give. It's the reason why this church exists. And friend, if you're here today and you do not know for sure when you die, heaven is your home, please listen up. It's the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life. You've broken God's law. You and every other person in this room, we've all broken God's law. We've sinned against him and we have been found guilty. Our court case has already been heard before the judge and we are guilty as charged. And the consequences, the penalty, our sentence is death. Not only a physical death, but eternal death in a place called hell. And you will die and spend eternity separated from God because you've been found guilty of your sins. But God loves you so much that he wants to give you another way. He wants to make a way so that you can be forgiven of your sins and know for sure that heaven is your home. So he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Because God is a righteous judge, he cannot just let you off or dismiss your case. Somebody has to pay. And Jesus stepped forward and said, I will pay your price for you. Jesus came, lived a perfectly sinless life, died on the cross, paid for my sins, paid for yours, was resurrected the third day and ascended into heaven. And he's coming back one day very soon. But friend, when it's lights out for you on this planet earth, you'll stand before God and you'll have to give an account of your life. And if you do not know for sure that heaven is your home, know this, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only way to heaven, friend. And if you're not here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure you're born again, Jesus says, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Please do not leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. This is the most important thing that we ever do in the history of the world is know for sure that Jesus is our savior. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know that for a fact, please see me after the service. You'll have an opportunity at the end of the service to respond to that invitation. But for those of us that know Jesus, why do we give? I wanna give so that other people can know. I wanna give so that other people can hear the truth of the gospel. I want the gospel to go further because of my giving and your gifts that you give through your regular tithes and offering goes directly to this church to be used for the cause of Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. Final thought this morning, buildings don't change lives, but what happens in them does. hey, these four walls never changed anybody, but the people that show up here week after week are changing eternity. Think about that for a second. We're changing eternity. The work that takes place here is a work like none other because it's the Lord's work. We're fulfilling the Great Commission. I'd ask you this morning to help me with this. I think it's it's helpful to see a visual representation of this, this if you were saved here at Hui Kala Baptist Church, would you do me a favor and stand up? If you accepted Jesus Christ as, as Savior here at Hui Kala Baptist Church, would you stand? All right. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. If you were baptized at Hui Kala Baptist Church, stand with these folks that are already standing, so stand up. If you're baptized here at Hui Kala Baptist Church, stand up. If you have been discipled here at Hui Kala Baptist Church or have discipled another person, Stand with these people that are currently standing. If you have made good decisions in your Christian walk and are a better Christian from coming to who we call a Baptist church, stand with those that are already standing. Hey, look. Hey, look. We're doing something, right? We're doing something, right? If you're not standing, maybe it's your first Sunday. That's okay. Uh, (laughs) 
You can be seated. Hey, look, that's what this is about. It's not about how much you give. It's not about the dollar amount that you give. It's not about how much a, a piece of property costs or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God is making changes in people's lives here because of what you and I do. Let's please not lose sight of that. We're not only fulfilling Jesus' last commandment, which was the Great Commission, to go win and baptize, teach. We're teaching people God's word, which changes people's lives. That's what all this is about. And so I'd encourage you today to pray and ask God what he would have you to give. I would ask you to maybe have a chat with your spouse during the invitation time to talk about what your weekly or monthly commitment might be to your, your giving. Angela and I had a conversation this morning about what we're planning on giving in the building offering today as well. But I would encourage you to just ask God, hey, what's my part in this? Maybe for some of you, it's just to begin tithing. Uh, here's the thing. I believe that if you did not give a dollar to the building offering, but you began tithing, that would be the best decision in the world that you could possibly make today. Maybe that's your first step today. But I know this, God's calling all of us to do something. And maybe for you, maybe you're your first time guest here. Maybe you're new to who we call. You don't even know if you're gonna hang around here for very long. Would you just pray for our church? I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. But I know that God has a work for us to do. I know that God didn't put us here on accident. God put us here on purpose. I know that he put us in a building that at the time there's no way in the world we could afford. Uh, when I met with our real estate agent the first time to look at this building, I looked at it and I go, first of all, wait, this is way too big, way too big. Secondly, there's no way we can ever afford this. And she said, well, how many members do you have in your church? Five? I don't know if this could hold 500. No, 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 five. <laughs> Me and my four family members. That's it, that's all we got. Oh, got it, okay. Um, this is a little bit big for you. <laughs> Very big for us. But you know what? I, I walked through it, and again, uh, Manuel walked through it with me that day. And, uh, and just something in me, I, I said, I believe God could do it. I believe God's able. And, and here we are, fast forward to five years later. I mean, we looked at this, this portion of the building that we're in right now. The first time I walked through it, I go, I don't know how it's going to happen. And we basically doubled our square footage, which if you know anything about uh, real estate, we basically doubled our overhead, our, doubled our rent, doubled our expenses by moving in here. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just believe that God's able. And guess what? Here we are. What's the next step of faith for us? I don't know what it is, but I know this one to be prepared for it. So I want to encourage you today to be faithful in your giving. Final thought, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved and heaven is your home, please do not leave here today without knowing for sure that, that you're saved and born again and that heaven is your home. It's the most important decision you'll ever make.